Bill finally gave the Ringers Philly crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right, just a couple Philly guys with the new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos, and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Plus, when Harden and Embiid somehow convince you suckers that this year is going to be different, our fellow Philly stands at the Ringer will have you covered on the Sixers and all your other favorite teams in town. It's Philly Sports Shield. What could possibly go wrong? Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome into Power Rankers. Austin Gale here with Jason Goff, ready to rip it up following week five in the NFL. I am so excited to get into it this week. Everyone hates my power rankings every single week, but guess what? I'm going to keep bringing them. I'm going to keep bringing the heat, and I'm doing it for the first time (laughs) for my new downtown LA apartment, specifically in the Arts District. It's about a five-minute walk from the office. I'm a grinder. I'm a green grinder, lunch pail, you know, hard hat type. (laughs) I'm going to be in the office every single day, first in, last out. Uh, one, one, One anecdote for you is I was in a coffee shop in the art district here in LA and I've been living in Cincinnati for a while. So this is, this is, this was an experience and I will say this comfortably. I was the ugliest, least worst dressed person in this coffee shop, dude. <laughs> LA's built different. LA, there yeah. was someone in there with orange corduroy overalls, one button down and a mint like cotton sweater. Everyone has tattoos I'm jealous of. The, the, some guy had a Gap t-shirt that was like perfectly vintage like he got it from 1985 in a time travel situation this was an insane experience i'm wearing a freaking shitty hat and a fucking pff t-shirt i'm changing my look okay i went no hat for the first time on this podcast i went shaved down the mustache i'm trying to be better la is gonna make me better one step at a time you gotta bring your own sauce to la though austin like you gotta bring that skyline True. chili wardrobe that you're coming <laughs> with you know you gotta make sure that the hair is kind of disheveled in the falling down kind of way and then slowly but surely morph into the the futuristic player that I know by the end of this run you're going to be. So don't 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 push the sauce, don't squeeze the sauce, just allow the sauce to come, you know? Allow allow for the game to take over. Don't worry. I, I believe in you. I believe in you. If they catch me bringing the Skyline chili sauce to LA, I might get arrested. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think the cops will be banging on my door if they found that I brought that back with me on the plane. All right, let's get into Power oh, Rangers. We're going to talk about sauce. Don't worry. Yeah, we, got, gonna... we, got, we, got, we got Jets football to talk about at some we point do. here. We definitely have Jets football to talk about. So, as always, we're going to go through our team of the week at the biggest movers. Who am I too high on? Who am I too low on? And at the back end, we'll do game of the week, shame of the week, and bring in Steven Ruiz to talk some quarterbacks. Team of the week, I got a twofer. I got a double, Uh-oh. little double Watch action. Out. I got Watch everyone in now. here, New York, New York. I want Giants and I want Jets in Team of the Week, baby. Both these teams are 
thriving of late. Now, I don't have the Jets catapulting up my rankings just yet. I still have doubts. I still don't know if they're legit, legit. Three and two on the year, though. 26 in my power rankings. Bound to go up if they continue this with Zach Wilson under center. And the New York Giants, the New York football Giants, are four and one. Just beat the Packers 27-22. Let's start with the Jets, though. Back-to-back wins with Zach Wilson. Second-year quarterback that got hurt in the preseason. We had to watch Joe Flacco play football. It was ugly. They got a comeback win over the Pittsburgh Steelers in week four. He led two fourth-quarter touchdown-scoring drives to secure that W. Then, against what can be a very frustrating Dolphins team on defense at times, they play a lot of man coverage, they blitz. It's very opposite to what the general NFL does. Yeah, they were out to a... No Teron Armstead, no Xavier Howard. This was, you know, Teddy Bridgewater also left the game after the first play. But still, I wrote my notes here, this Jets team, for there to be positivity in the Big Apple, just can't shit the bed. And he didn't. Zach Wilson didn't. This team didn't. And they actually beat the Miami Dolphins at home. I thought that was a phenomenal performance from Zach Wilson. Again, not a phenomenal performance, but like a solid performance. A solid performance from the Jets, who are in desperate need of positivity. What were your initial reactions? Well, he's got the if factor, right? And the fact that he extends plays and does a lot of things off schedule. Uh, I want to see him get back to what this league has promised us that quarterbacks who traditionally win and have sustained success have to do, which is back foot in the ground, fire that ball, get it out, like a little bit more timing and rhythm. He'll get that, obviously, but he's got he's got the wild out, you know, young gun slinger kind of vibes. And on top of it, the defense, like Quentin Williams, very quietly is turning into the player that everybody thought he might be. And Sauce Gardner coming out of Cincinnati, you know, it's, it's always, you know, the first blush of a, a young corner, first few games, what are they doing to you? What do you remember? What can you replicate in terms of technique and fundamentals? We're seeing Stingley Jr. do it in Houston, making big plays. We're seeing Sauce Gardner do it as well. So the Jets just got a lot of nice little building blocks, nice pieces, especially on offense. And if you look at that defense, I mean, hell, they the, most of that defense is from other places. Like not not a lot of it is homegrown outside of the last few drafts. So the last couple of drafts, I should say, with Jermaine Johnson, Quentin Williams, of course, Sauce Gardner. So if you're a Jets fan right now, you should be good, feeling good about yourself, and you may have the offensive rookie of the year on your side as well in Brees Hall. So Jets football is feeling as they should this early season. I don't think they're anything to write home about just as yet, but the fact that they're fighting and they got a quarterback that keep not only keeps them in games, but also can win a game for you at the end, as we've seen with, with a few big drives here in the last couple of weeks. I, I like what I'm seeing out of the Jets so far. Yeah, I think I said phenomenal, and I think that's a bit hyperbolic, but it feels phenomenal for these Jets fans, right? It's a Jets team that has not been good for a long time, and there was a lot of reason for negativity. I mean, on my power rankings, I think after week one, they were the 32nd ranked team. Robert Sala is asking for receipts and all those things. I did not see this team coming back, and now... Three and two with a big comeback win over the Browns, big comeback win over the Steelers, and then they handle a very injury-plagued Dolphins team. Remember, Tua Tagovailoa out, Teddy Bridgewater out after the first play, and no Toronto Armstead, no Xavier Howard. But still, like this, you know, people will always bring, oh, the, the Dolphins were hurt, all that stuff. Like bad football teams have to beat bad teams first, right? Like you have to beat the Steelers, you have to beat the injury-plagued Dolphins. Like you have to do that before you start to write this ship fully and become that quote-unquote phenomenal team in the league. I wanted to add a little bit more on Zach Wilson. You said he has a hit factor. I think he's got that dog in him. Jason, I know <laughs> Steve Ruiz is the one who handles the badges on the quarterback rankings on the ringer.com. Right, right. I encourage you to check those out. I don't know if he's adding that dog in him badge, but maybe he should. 14th an EPA per dropback over the past two weeks, but he's the number seven quarterback in PFF grade. Also leader in EPA per dropback 
in the fourth quarters of games over the last two weeks. Small sample size. I think it's only like 16 dropbacks, but that's that dog, baby. That's that dog. <laughs> dives, dives in the end zone to score that touchdown in the second quarter. There's still some ugly to his game. I think he took two bad sacks in this game more, more recently. There's a throw. I think it's around like halfway through the first quarter that he just turfs in front of Elijah Moore. Like there's still some of that stuff, which is fine. It's fine. When you turn on the fourth quarter early in it, down the field, Corey Davis over a, over a defender. Like, that is the stuff that they drafted him to be. He's top five in EPA per dropback when kept clean over the last two weeks. He is maximizing clean pockets. Yes, it's a small sample size, but he's playing well, and he's showing fight. He's grittying up people. I mean, we love that. We love that from Zach Wilson, <laughs> reason for positivity. And I want to mention quickly, because I mentioned Zach Wilson. I think that's where a lot of the praise should be. Robert Saul deserves some praise. Ahmad Garner, Sauce Garner, if you will, playing out of his gourd. First career interception this past week. Brees Hall... Tied for first in offensive rookie of the year odds, and I think for very good reason. He's playing well. Michael Carter in this game did the Jalen Waddle celebration. I have a take here. The Waddle celebration sucks. I hate when Jalen Waddle does that little dumbass penguin thing in the end zone. I'm glad Michael Carter made fun of it. But this Jets team, man, a lot of reason for positivity. And I'm glad you you mentioned the Giants heading into this because we were talking about the state of New York football, no pun intended. I mean, outside of the quarterback MVPs that we have right now in the league and Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, those type of dudes, Jalen Hurts, you could throw in there first five weeks of the season. I, I'm not mad if somebody says Saquon Barkley's name. The way that this team is kind of just not just rejuvenated itself, but they're playing kind of fundamental football, you know, making sure they're not making mistakes in the kicking game. Daniel Jones isn't being asked to win games, and Brian Dable is coaching his ass off right now. So the Jets and the Giants right now, the state of New York football is sitting pretty right now. Yeah, I, that gets into my next team here. My next team of the week, I told you it's a twofer. The New York Giants, 4-1, and one, coming off a of Packers win, 27-22 in London with a hobble Daniel Jones. Like, his ankle was hurt. You know, you know, the reporters are asking Dayball, like, is he not running because he's hurt? And he's like, he's fine, he's fine. But no, banged up a little bit. That's the, Sterling Shepard was out, you know, uh, has been out the last two games. He's out for the season with an injury. Uh, rookie Evan Neal has been a literal turnstile at offensive tackle. And they're 4-1. and one. There are four and one. This is this is my take. This is my headline. This is a bad football hear, team. I want to hear you. I want to hear your wins don't matters comment. That's what I want. <laughs> this is a bad football team. Yeah, they are. For all the reasons <laughs> I said, it's one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Evan Neal couldn't have had a worse start to his career. The receiving core, especially without Sterling Shepard, is absolutely trash. They're starting Richie James, David Sills, and I don't even know who after that. They they they're. You know, Wandale Robinson's been hurt. Kadarius Tony's been hurt. Kenny Galladay's either hurt or he's benched. Like, there is no reason to have optimism for this supporting cast. And Daniel Jones and Brian Dable are still finding ways to get it done. Jones, the fact that he's 18th in EPA per dropback this season, which isn't great, middle of the pack among starters, is absolutely insane. Not only has he been hurt, but he's the most pressured quarterback, more pressured than Justin Fields, than any player in the NFL. The receiving core is bad, as I've noted. And he's still is playing really good football. And I think that's a massive tip of the cap to Jones and how much he's handled this situation where he, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Everyone says the writing's on the wall that he's not going to play in New York next year. They bring in this new head coach. He's top five in clean pocket EPA over the last two weeks. That is special, man. That is absolutely special. I, I, I really do think that Daniel Jones and what he's done and what is an objectively a terrible situation is it, super fantastic to see. And same with Brian Dayball. I've been in that building a lot over the last week. Fun fact, maybe I'm the curse. The only game they've lost this year I was at was the Dallas Cowboys game <laughs> on Monday Night Football, so maybe I'm a part of it. But like, and Daniel Jones played well in that game, I thought, too. 
I agree. And we talked about that a little bit last week. I think I, I think Daniel Jones played a lot better than maybe you know what the box score would suggest in those things. So Daniel Jones, I think, is exceeding expectations. The other part of this offense that has to be mentioned is Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, I think, is either number one or number two in rushing yards on the year. He's minus two, 200 on Fandle to win comeback player of the year, very rightfully so. He finally looks like what they drafted him to be or what he looked like a few years ago. And yeah, he's talented. Yeah, he's, you know, he's playing well. But like this is a product of coaching. This is such a product of coaching, right? This offense last year under Joe Judge was dead last in EPA per drive. They did not get that much better in terms of personnel this year. If anything, they got worse. They're hurt. Sterling Shepard is hurt. Evan Ingram is not on this football team. Like They are playing better football with arguably a worse supporting cast than last year. Objectively better football, and so much of that is coaching. When you have bad football teams, like especially on offense, struggling in terms of talent, Winning games like this against the Green Bay Packers and against teams that they beat you know, over the last few weeks, this is a sign of Dayball being that dude. And that is something that is super exciting. Talk about positivity in New York. The Giants should be super stoked. Yeah, Brian Dayball has looked at this thing and said, Daniel Jones is not going to win football games for me, so why should I ask him to or make him win football games for me? And last year, last two years, Saquon Barkley has been hurt. So the fact that Saquon has gotten back to some semblance of his old self and they're playing good situational football and they're finding guys to make plays on that defense that you're not used to hearing about, right? Like Leonard Williams has been hurt for most of this season, but Kayvon Thibodeau has had his his little spells here and there as a, a high draft and take Crowder at the middle linebacker position. We talk a lot about inside linebackers and we got a lot of names, especially in the NFC, Roquan Smith and Devin Smith and a whole bunch of guys running around. Take Crowder has played as well, I think, in the last three weeks as any middle linebacker, especially in that division. So it's kind of the same formula that I think was going on with Mike McCarthy in Dallas. Well, if Cooper Rush is not Dak Prescott, let's not treat Cooper Rush like Dak Prescott. And what do you know? You start to dumb it down a little bit and no, no disrespect to him, but you give the ball to Tony Pollard as much as you give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, guys make a few plays and the defense wins a game for you. So not asking guys to be something that they're not. I think that's what I think that's what's paying off offensively, especially for Brian Dayball. And then defensively, they got a couple of guys stepping up where injured players are not on the field. So you know, it, it shows you that in the NFL right now, there's probably about five six really, really good teams. And then the middle is so vast. We're talking about a good 18 teams that are pretty much the same squad. And then like you mentioned in your power rankings, that that the bottom six or seven, those are the teams that you eat off of. And right now the Giants should be one of those teams that you're eating off of, but they're playing smart football. It's accountability. It's process. Or it's a commitment to the process and it, it's consistency. You know, in the time, you know, I think two weeks ago now, I spent with New York and talked to Dayball, talked to defensive coordinator Wink Martindale, who deserves some love. Giants are 11th in yards per play allowed, ninth in total points allowed on defense. That is coaching, man. This is not an uber talented defense. Dexter Lawrence is, yeah, probably one of the best nose tackles in the NFL. And I really like Xavier McKinney. I like Julian Love. But this is a defense that really struggled last year. That is playing far above expectation under Wink Martindale. I think that's a huge tip of cap for him. But like across the board, like, I don't think I'm good at a lot of things, Jason Goff. I don't even think I'm good at what I'm about to say. But going there last week and talking to Dexter Lawrence, talking to you know Wink Martindale and, and Dayball and hearing them just talk so consistently about process and accountability. And you go back to week one. You t- now, Daniel Jones threw that red zone interception and was legitimately berated on the sideline. After Kenny Galladay was jogging in week one, he was benched. And for David Sills in week two, like there was accountability that this team did not have last year that teams, the team and the players are responding to. You know why? Because Dayball is consistent when they lose or when they win. They haven't lost a lot and they're winning freaking football games. There's so much buy-in for this football team right now. But what I was going to say, what I'm not good at, 
or maybe I'm what I was saying, I'm not good at a lot of things. I might not be good at this. Being around those guys, I, I think I think you can just tell when guys get it. You know, when coaches get it and when players get it, and when there's buy-in in a locker room where everyone's like, no, this is how we're going to change this football team. This is you know, when Dable Dable's talking to me, he's like, he's not saying we don't, I'm not focused on winning games. I don't care if we win games. I just want people to show up to meetings on time. I want players to practice. I want players to be excited to be at practice. Like Set that is how you get, yeah, that is how you get out of this, you know, this, ob, you know, objectively what has been a slump for this New York Giants team. I mean, they're coming off a really bad season. They're coming off firing a head coach, getting out of a GM with Dave Gettleman. Like this is how you get out of a slump. I think there's a lot of reason for positivity. They didn't move into the top 10 of my rankings. I know they're four and one, but they did reach the top half of the league, 16th in my power rankings. All right. Too high, too low. There we go. My favorite part, baby. Let's get it. Every single week, The Ringer sends out on Twitter my top 10. You know, they'll send out a link. And every single week, I'm getting death threats in the DMs. Okay? It's not easy. It's not easy being here. It's not easy. I'll be, I'll you know, be sure to LA. change my username next time, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, but the first team I wanted to bring up that I think I am probably too high on is the Miami Dolphins. I, they're number six in my rankings, but I just don't know what to do with them, all right? They didn't have Tua Tagovailoa. Teddy Bridgewater got hurt in the first play of the game last week. No Xavier Howard, no Teron Armstead. They lose on the road against the Jets, a bad Jets football team. They blew it in the fourth quarter. Skylar Thompson really struggled. They, they lost 40-17 in week five. They now lost back-to-back games, largely without Tua in week four, and then completely without Tua and almost completely without Teddy Bridgewater in week six. I don't know what to do with them because they've been hurt so much. I'm still buying Mike McDaniel and I'm still buying this offense when they're healthy, but is six too high? Yeah, it is too high. We, we, if these are <laughs> week-to-week power rankings, mister, if I was to tell you to go to the store and give me a good football team and you came back with six of them and one of them was the Miami Dolphins, I'd tell you take your ass back to the store. So let's be <laughs> real about it. If it's week-to-week power rankings, there's no way in hell the Miami Dolphins should be in there. They, they got some dude named Skyler that's throwing footballs for them right now, okay? And I love Mike McDaniel. You know, shout-out to Black Mike, but he, he's two quarterbacks down right now. And shout-out to Teddy Bridgewater because he, you know— you, you never know where you're going to get that next opportunity, but if if it wasn't coming off the two of Tonga Vailoa, serious head trauma, I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater would be ruled out of that football game. So right now, and, and CC, I apologize. I'm talking about your Dolphins right now, but right now, there's no way in hell. And I argued for the Dolphins to be higher and higher, especially after the first couple of weeks, but there's no way in hell right now that they're the sixth best team, Austin Gale. You know better than that. You already know how I feel about, you know, your your, your Buccaneers love still. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and finally you learned your lessons with that Packers shenanigans. They went out to London. They had to teach you. They had to learn you right. But, and, and fly Eagles fly. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Too high, too low. You can get to this Dolphins, man. That's all you want. The Eagles need to be bumped up a little bit. And after that Monday night football game, I think I might slide the Chiefs down a little bit, especially Stop. what's happening in that Stop. secondary. I might slide you, them down you, you a little bit. You bite I your might, tongue. Hey, hey, right now you're going to tell me if you lined up the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs right now, football teams, not the quarterback position, not edge rusher. I'm talking about everything. That Chiefs right side of that line, that Chiefs secondary, Pat Patrick Mahomes has to be Houdini out there far too often for me. I don't know if I got the Chiefs ahead of the Eagles right now, player. Wow. Wow. I, I, Jalen Hurts, Nick Sirianni, the, the city of Philadelphia, maybe even the state I'm of fucking Pennsylvania is going to have to move <laughs> heaven and earth before I move the Eagles ahead of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. We will see. We will see. We will see, especially because uh, we got a game of the week coming up. Bills, Chiefs, yeah, I'm sure we'll yeah, talk about that later. Yeah. We're also going to talk some Packers. We'll get to the Packers. I wanted to make one more note on the Dolphins and like really why I think I have to Stop being an idiot and move them down from six. But like, 
the offense is hurt, and I get that. Like, I still really like Jalen Waddle. I still really like Tua you know, Tango and Healthy, Tyree Kill, all that stuff. They played well. They were 3-0 to start the season because of that offense. The defense, though it's fun, and, and Josh Boyer, the defense coordinator, has gotten some praise here and there, is, is bad. It, the defense yeah. is bad. They, they blitz a lot, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, the, you know, they like to the blitz. They're 23rd in pressure rate when they blitz. They're 32nd in yards per attempt allowed. The quarterback throwing the ball when they blitz. So, yeah, they blitz a lot. It's cool. It's fun. It's not working. When they don't blitz, they make bottom 10 in yards per attempt allowed. Yeah, the adjustments against Buffalo were good. Like, they, they played a little more zone coverage in the second half, and I think that slowed them down. They need to do that more. And that doesn't even that doesn't even bring up the man coverage, right? They run man coverage more than any team in the NFL. They went mm-hmm. 30th in yards per attempt allowed when they run man coverage. Like, it's not working. Like, this Boyer-led defense is not working. And then when you, we have any, only the Texans and Seahawks have a worse pass defense than the Miami Dolphins right now. And that's just their passing game. Going into the run game where we saw Brees Hall and Michael Carter, you know, really have a day against the Miami Dolphins in week five, where yeah, they were hurt Xavier Howard, but a lot of that defense was healthy. Michael Carter doing the waddle on his second TD in that game. They rank 32nd in defensive success rate against the run. They're getting bullied up front. They're allowing a lot in the pass. Like this defense Throw the two injury, the Teddy injury, all that offensive injuries out the window. Like this defense is bad. It's the third worst defense in EPA, or, or I think it's bottom five in EPA per play allowed so far this season. That's the reason, right? Not the injuries and all that stuff. I think Tua comes back healthy. Eventually, this offense is built to last. But the defense is not going to turn it around, I don't think, anytime soon. I mean, that, that back six, that back seven, however you want to look at it, because I know they run a 34 front, but no Xavier Howard really takes out one side of the field that you know that is going to be manned. And then after that, we're talking about who? Nick Needham and Keon Crossing and dudes like that. I mean, uh, they, they, they got the young boy playing nickelback right now. And, and of course, you know, Byron Jones is a damn good player. So when those guys get banged up and you don't adjust and you think you just plug it in pieces, especially at their roster, this is why they weren't a very good team. This is why when you throw out a whole bunch of money in free agency, you're not really addressing depth. You're putting something in a piece, a piece in place, I should say, and if that piece goes down, you're still the same 6-11, and 5-12 and 12 type of roster that you were the year before, and I think you're seeing that right now in the war of attrition, especially when your quarterback goes down. You have to, have, you have to be tight and solid across the board, and that defense just isn't ready for the amount of injuries that have hit it so far, which is another reason why you know they might be dropping a little bit until Tua or Teddy Bridgewater gets back. Our, our producer Carlos Chiraboga, CC as we call him, is a big yeah. Miami Dolphins fan. I'm sure this this segment was tough to hear. I still have them six, CC. That's for you. I did that for you. People don't know it, but I did that for you. They might be CC, coming crashing down they, here. They, they need they to have a two in front of their name, CC, and you know it as well as I do. <laughs> All right, the other team I'm too high on. I want to get to them quickly, and then I only have one team, or yeah, two teams I want to get to that I might be too low on. Cincinnati Bengals. They're number nine, man. And I'm still I'm still riding the Super Bowl hangover, man. I'm still a little drunk off you know, that, that last postseason run. But the Bengals were three, three and a half point dogs on the road against Baltimore. Sunday night football. My, my former coworker, Chris Collinsworth, on the call. You love to see it. And, and they covered the spread. This game was closer than I think what... But the game was closer. Like, they lost 19-17 on the road. The game was closer than I think what you actually saw on the football field. And I think a lot of that is Zach Taylor... And Joe Burrow, this offense is broken. And to go off on a tangent here a little bit. Go do your thing. Bengals rank 22nd in EPA per drive through five weeks. It's a bottom 10 offense or you know, right on there at 11 in efficiency through five weeks. And I know it's bad. The offensive line, I get it. And people keep bringing up the offensive line. He's under pressure all the time. It didn't get better. That's not. That's not the only reason. I don't even think that's the biggest reason, right? Like Joe Burrow has only been under pressure at a bot. He has he ranks top ten in pressure rate allowed, so he's not under pressure 
even near what Daniel Jones is seeing, even near what Justin Fields is seeing, what other quarterbacks are seeing right now. He's not under constant pressure. They're getting the ball out quick, and, and they're trying to get the ball out so they avoid some of that offensive line stuff. But the offensive line is not the biggest problem or the sole problem. The real problem is that they can't run the ball. They tried to run the ball from the gun. It did not work against the Baltimore Ravens. They tried to run the ball from under center. It's not really working. Their running backs are getting hit at or behind the line of scrimmage at the highest rate in the NFL. They're 32nd in yards before first contact per attempt, which I know is a offensive line, but a lot of that is also... The, the, the run game and how they're trying to run the football with Joe Mixon and company. They're also running the ball too much. They have the ninth most runs on first downs this year of any team in the NFL. And they rank dead last in turning those first downs into other first downs. So first down conversion rate on first down. And they rank dead last in explosive play rate on first down. This offense is too explosive and too good with Joe Burrow, T. Higgins when healthy, Jamar Chase, you know, when healthy, all those, Tyler Boyd. It's too good to be that bad, to be the worst defense or the worst offense on first downs. They also rank 29th in air yards per attempt and bottom five in EPA per play allowed on early downs. Very low ADOT in this game against Baltimore Ravens. Ruiz on the Monday show on this feed was playing guess the ADOT. It's bad. It was bad. They can't get the ball downfield. The offensive line is struggling. Zach Taylor's not dialing up enough passes on early downs. This is a disaster on so many fronts that I don't think it gets fixed. Like Joe Burrow is throwing interceptions that we don't normally see. They're conservative on early downs. T. Higgins is, you know, hurt, you know, seemingly every single week. The offensive line is not meeting expectation. There is so much fault. You know, there's so many cracks in the foundation for the offense specifically. I think Lou Anarumo and the Bengals defense is, is, is playing really well this year. But offensively, there's too many cracks in this foundation for them to be a top 10 team. I have them at number nine. I think that might be fairy dust. I think there is a disconnect that it has to be addressed, not only between Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow in this offense, but Joe Burrow and the passing game, period. Uh, Joe Burrow got beat up a lot, right? And he's he's already gone through, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty uh, catastrophic knee injury, right? It seems to me like Joe Burrow is letting go of that thing a lot earlier and a lot sooner than we saw before he got his line fixed. So if the line is fixed and he's got time to pass the ball, and also there's other thing too, like it, it to me it's, it's the Justin Jefferson and last night the Devonte Adams rule. Uh, until they find somebody to stop that, keep going to it. What I'm seeing in in the last couple of Bengals games that I've watched, especially that Ravens game, Jamar Chase is getting the football at the line of scrimmage or maybe six or seven yards away from the line of scrimmage where it's like you got that dude built like a running back who can run routes and who has deep speed you gotta you gotta stretch the field every once in a while i'm not talking about just running go routes i'm talking about you know skinny posts like things that 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 take a little while to develop but will pay off the risk reward we saw Devontae adams in the first half of that game against the kansas city chiefs in a young secondary get 48 penalty yards on on consecutive drives right so you you gotta put your best players in position. And if Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow know Jamar Chase is who he is, you got to force the football to him and not just these bubble screens. I just, I see, I see an unplugged and uncoordinated offense right now. And there's, there's a lot of little things that are, that are jumping off the page right now for the Cincinnati Bengals who might, you know, obviously were a couple of years probably ahead of schedule. So now where we're grading them is a little different. If they missed the playoffs by a couple of games last year, and we see the, the slow progression, we probably wouldn't have these expectations but obviously it's a different game. I, I think unplugged and uncoordinated is a great way to describe how this offense has been. And I think the key frustration for me, right, especially doing these power rankings every single week where I'm like reviewing the tape and trying to like actually tell you who's a good fucking football team and who's not, which is very difficult to do watching all 32 teams every single week and trying to make a good distinction. What I've learned is every single team has excuses. 
Every single team. Like, every, Giants have excuses. They're 4-1. You know, every, every all the offensive line's not playing well. This player's hurt. Every single team has excuses. I know the Bengals' offensive line is not meeting expectation. I know Lael Collins is one of the worst pass-protecting offensive tackles in the NFL. I know T. Higgins has been hurt. But shut the F up. Good teams don't make excuses. Good teams find a way. And well-coached teams, right? And coordinated teams, plugged-in teams, find a way through these excuses, right? And I just don't... Like, the Miami Dolphins' offense has struggled a bit, but like still looked competent going down to their third-string quarterback. Even the New England Patriots, who we were making fun of, Matt Patricia calling plays, is down to Bailey Zappi, and they just beat the Lions 26-0. Like, well-coached teams find a way. Well-coached teams make adjustments and find a way. The Cincinnati Bengals, I know you can pull any excuse out of your ass if you want. Like, the offensive line's not playing well. Joe Burrow's like not trusting his team. Uh, Zach Taylor's calling conservative plays. You got to find a way. And if it's not Zach Taylor, you need to make a move, right? And Zach so Taylor, I know they're committed to. you think they're a good to. team? I, so I I think that they're talented, and I think they have uh, one of the best shit, quarterbacks in the Austin, NFL. Austin, do you think I, they're a good team? I don't know, man. I think I think <laughs> I gotta drop them. I gotta drop them. I gotta drop them. They're gonna CC, fall outside the top ten. Happens. They're gonna fall outside the top ten. All right, let's get to my too low team here, and and I I put them as too low because I really just wanted to bring them up, and I'm trying to fit the structure. I'm trying to be a good host yeah, on this podcast, but yeah, like, yeah. I, can, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the Carolina Panthers. Let's talk. The, the, let's the, talk. the Carolina Panthers have fallen all the way down to 32. 30. Three. my power rankings. They should be 33. <laughs> they should be 33. If you didn't know the news, yeah, uh, the team announced. Premier League team in there or something. You know what I mean? Matt Rule. Matt Rule has been fired. The head coach of the Carolina Panthers after I think it was an 11 and 27 record over two years plus. I think the funnier stat is that the team was did not have a win. I think it was 24 consecutive losses when the defense allowed more than 17 points. 17. That points. is that is one of the most insane stats I've ever heard. Like that that is. Banana land. That is just ineptitude <laughs> offensively. But they also filed Phil Snow, which was has been like a long term, you know, Matt Rule guy. That was the defense coordinator. They fired the special teams assistant Ed Coley. Like they're cleaning house. So like anyone that knows Matt Rule, get the hell out of here. We're not ready for this. Steve Wilkes is going to replace him as the interim head coach. I think Baker Mayfield, who suffered an ankle injury at the end of last week's game probably isn't going to play and they're going to start P.J. Walker. Not that it matters. Like, this team is in a pit of despair, desperate for a restart, desperate for a refresh. What's your reaction to the Matt Rule firing? Am I right to say they're the worst team in the NFL? I, I think the stat that you left out that was more galling was the $42 million that he's going to get now to just <laughs> sit at the crib and fucking chill. That's the, I think that's the best stat of all of them. And, by the way, shout out to Steve Wilkes, who has now become the designated uh, brother to run your franchise that you will never give a chance to run your franchise. <laughs> uh, you know, Lovey Smith had that title for a little bit, you know, and, and with Houston Texans, now Steve Wilkes takes that over. Yeah, I mean, just top to bottom. When you when you hear an owner come out and talk about the enthusiasm and the energy not being there, and that was with pretty like, this thing has been in the, the making for weeks now, and and this team knew it, and the players knew it, and when the players come out and and you know, spit the bit the way they have, that's a team that doesn't want that coach to be there anymore. It's as simple as that. You, you talk about Brian Dayball, you know, I, I see these things as first date faces, right? You put your representative on when it's time to really, you know, earn that love and that attention. Well, if, you, if you're if you in the second or third year of a regime and you're still getting the same results, like where was this thing really ever going? You brought back Cam Newton, Baker Mayfield now becomes a guy. This dude did it at Temple and he did it at Baylor. And shout out to those two fine institutions, but we're not talking about the high 
highest bastion of college football success. So with Cliff Kingsbury, you next up, fam. Like all these dudes who 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 have been tabbed as the next good thing or the next big thing offensively or have some name in college football. It's a different game when you got 35-year-olds with families to feed and they're not listening to you. So I don't know where the Carolina Panthers thing is going right now. There's rumors about Christian McCaffrey being up for grabs if the Los Angeles Rams want him. Like that franchise, where they are right now, they better just hope that Bryce Young or Will Levis or one of these guys are available. And like you mentioned, they have to tank now so they can start this thing all over again and and have another four or five years to tell their fan base that we're, we're actually building something here in Carolina. Desperate for a fire sale. I want to get to that and some of the contracts around the books for in 2023. But really quickly on something that you mentioned about Matt Rule and about like how different of a game it is, this college to NFL pipeline, going from a college head coach to the NFL. I think Benjamin Solak recently in a meeting was talking about maybe doing an article on just that pipeline and how failed it's been. I'm interested to see if he does that. But like my initial reaction to it is like it is a different game. You know, Matt Rule, when he's head coach at Baylor or head coach of the college program, he is in the rooms of 17-year-olds trying to convince them to go to the school and slipping NIL deals from, like, Chick-fil-A to them. You know, like, it's a different game. Like, how you're convincing talent to play for your football team in college. And, like, that's the key difference, right? It's how you build a roster and how you motivate players on your team is 1,000% different than what from, from college to the NFL, right? It's a different ballgame. You know, like, you are talking to adults. You're talking to people who are paid to be there, and you're talking to people with high, high expectations every single year. Whereas when you're rebuilding a program at Baylor or you're rebuilding a, a program at Temple, you can slow burn it. You're given a lengthier leash. You just need to convince kids to show up fired up, and it's just a totally different energy. That is hard to do, right? And we've seen it with Matt Rule and other college coaches. Urban Meyer really struggle to figure out like the player management piece. Like I think that's you the problem. you can't hold shelter over children's heads, it's a little bit different, the buy-in. I don't think that, like, Matt, I'm, I'm not going to come on here as an idiot and say, like, Matt Rule doesn't know ball or Matt Rule is not, doesn't know football and can't, like, scheme up things or whatever the fuck. I am going to say, though, yeah. he, is going, he is struggling managing adults. Like, he, str- he struggles managing adults. And that's a lot of what head coaching is. That's literally hiring other assistants to do the same thing as you. That's, hi- you, know, hi- you know, bringing in and hiring, essentially hiring players and all that stuff. Like, that is just the, the biggest power change. part, too. Part. Yes, that, that part yes. fucked them. I mean, not having oh, yeah. any experience at the gig and then all of a sudden having to hire all the scouts and know who like that, 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 that's a tall, tall task for even the best NFL coach, not to mention a guy coming straight from college football. Exclamation point on the fire sale. And then we'll get, we'll move to our, our biggest mover, which is the Green Bay Packers going down from three to 11. But these are the people on the books for more than 19 and a half million dollars next year for the Carolina Panthers. They're one of six teams that are already projected to be over the cap in 2023. And they're the worst team in the NFL. That's DJ Moore, Taylor Moton, Shaq Thompson, Robbie Anderson, and Christian McCaffrey. And then the last player is Matt Rule. He's got 20 million coming his way as well. That's not on the cap, but he's got another 20 mil too. That is massively concerning. This is a team that should not have five players, you know, taking up more than $100 million of their cap space. It shouldn't. Like, they need to be in full rebuild mode. They are far, far away from being competitive. Are there some players on rookie contracts that I think you still want to keep there? Sure. But guys like Brian Burns, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, these guys that are on second contracts, like you, no, but Brian Burns isn't on his second contract yet, but he's coming up. Like, yeah. these are players that you might need paid. to move. And, and he's, he's going to get paid. paid by somebody. Yeah. These are players that you might want to move. Carolina in a dark place. Speaking of dark places, 
wherever the Green Bay Packers are, it's dark. <laughs> Green Bay Packers go from three to 11 in my power rankings. I had people really upset that they were three last week, and they were right. I went on this podcast, and I said they're probably right. They go down from three to 11 after a disastrous loss in London against the New York Giants. We talked up the Giants at the early parts of the podcast. They're three and two, but things look awful. Things do not look good. And it all revolves around Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur in this offense. Solak called it last week saying that we should be worried. Ruiz said, I think he might be washed. He's adding the wash watch badge to his uh, quarterback rankings this week for Aaron Rodgers. The rally in Rodgers, the haircut getting better, the relationship life getting better, all that stuff getting better just might not be there this year, man. It might not be there. And the Green Bay Packers might just be in this sea of mid in the NFC or even in the NFL that just doesn't have that deep postseason contention in them, they go from three to 11. Your reaction? As much credit as we give to young up-and-coming quarterbacks who stand in there and take a hit and deliver the football, why is it that we never have the inverse when it comes to older quarterbacks? They're saying they're playing the same position, the, 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 the same things are expected of them in terms of results and productivity, and when it doesn't happen in that manner, then we start to talk about the wide receivers, we talk about the offensive line. Hell, in Tampa Bay, like in the years that we've seen Tom Brady not be Tom, or even games or quarters or positions, sessions where Tom Brady's not Tom Brady. We know exactly what's happening. He's getting rid of that football and he's ducking because he doesn't want to take a hit. I think some of the playoff things that we've seen from Aaron Rodgers over the last few years in terms of him being mistake or risk averse, I think that is now extending to Anytime he gets touched, he is letting go of that thing. And if they have a short passing game with the lack of explosive plays that they have in the passing game now, all you're doing is, is setting up shop for A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones in that offense now. And, and as good as Aaron Rodgers is, he cannot beat you by himself. He is not one of those dudes who can beat you by himself anymore. He needs somebody to make a play for him. If you don't trust him and you're letting go of the football a little bit earlier than you probably would, then this is what you get. You don't get the explosive offense. And on top top of it, that defense is decent. They're good, right? But they, they can't hold it. That's not a Super Bowl. I'll win it because of this defense type of team. So what I saw in London is exactly what I thought would be happening throughout this season. It's why I picked the Minnesota Vikings to win the NFC North at the outset of this thing. I thought Aaron Rodgers would not only have issues, but at some point, you know, like thing, not getting hit becomes more important than getting hit and completing a pass for a completion on a big third down or a touchdown. I think that's, I think I think that's where they are right now in Green Bay. Uh, on FanDuel, the you know in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings actually are the favorite now. They weren't the favorite, okay. obviously, preseason. Good for you getting, if you bet that, they are they are now the favorite. You got some closing line value. If the Green Bay Packers, man, I, I, I think it's pretty simple. And I wrote this on the article. You should check it out on theringer.com. It, it is, the ball has to come out quick, and players need to, and players need to make plays after the catch if anything's going to work offensively. Like when you looked at this Giants game, very quick time to throw. He has the, the second fastest average, average time to throw in the NFL, 2.3 seconds. And 62% of his passing yards have come after the catch this year. That's the highest of any player in the NFL. 67% of his passing yards have come on throws made within 2.5 seconds of the snap. That's not downfield shots. That's quick, shallow concepts. And that's not going to get it done. You know, defenses are going to catch on. Something we didn't bring about Dayball. I don't always pay attention to... When like the reporter at halftime goes up to the coach and he's like, "What do you guys got to do in the second half?" Because like most of the time they're like, "Play good defense" or something stupid. But yeah. Dayball's like, Dayball's like, they're throwing a lot of quick passes. We got to get our hands up. The last two plays of the Green Bay Packers offense, hands up, batted balls. Like that's Dayball, baby. Dayball's just the man. I don't know. I'm ready to get a Brian <laughs> Dayball tattoo at this point. That, but like, defenses are catching on, right? Like in the second halves of games, the Green Bay Packers are slowed down. In the second half. 
the Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers didn't score a point. Like that is Wink Martindale. That's Brian Dayball legitimately calling out like, this is what this offense is doing. This is how we stop them. Like that, in my opinion, is really, really bad for a team that you're trying to bet on being a deep postseason contender, even with a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. Maybe he's not that anymore, but he's still a future Hall of Fame talent. Yeah. This offense is too easy to defend. Too easy to defend. And I think that's that's the biggest concern in Green Bay. The defense isn't like, I think a lot of people were like, this could be the best defense in the NFL. Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage. I, li- I like what they have. Rashawn Gary's reaching this next level. They've been middle of the pack. Middle of the pack with an offense that ranks top, outside the top 10 in EPA per rush and outside the top 10 in EPA per drop back. This isn't a deep postseason team. They're no, no, they're no longer number three. I was probably a week late, but still give me credit where credit's due. Uh, you get no credit from me, sir. I've been telling you to get their <laughs> ass up out of the top seven for a minute now. And oh, shout man. out to hey, shout out to uh, Dory Jackson and uh, and Holmes for the true, uh, true. for the Giants because when you have corners that trust their jam, no matter how small or big they are, and they disrupt timing, and all you're doing is throwing short concept routes that that you know a, a timing offense. All it needs is, is a couple of corners that that don't give a shit that trust their jams and know that they got help, and that's exactly what they played to, and they they came back and won the football game because of it game of the week and shame of the week this is where you give me the best game next week and i give you the worst game i didn't know what you were going to pick here i think I it's either going to be i think it's going to either be bill's chiefs or cowboys eagles cowboys eagles i think could be really fun in philly but bill's chiefs is probably the one you're leaning where are you going all right i'll give you bill's chiefs right because that's right. the that's the one that everybody should be pointing to but i sneakily like Ravens Giants, man. Uh, oh, two, shit. Two, MV, two MVP candidates on the field at the same time. Lamar Jackson, Saquon Barkley. But let's stay Bills Chiefs because that's where the money is going to be made. You got Pat Mahomes. You got, of course, Josh Allen. You got Gabe Davis catching 98-yard touchdowns. Like, I, I think it's going to be a star-studded affair. And, of course, you know, these are the kind of matchups you look forward to on the week schedule. So I'm going game of the week, Bills Chiefs, even though Ravens Giants might have a little bit more on my heart. Right now, Bills are favored by three on the road in Arrowhead. And if you watch that Monday Night Football game, oh my gosh, Arrowhead Stadium looks relentless. COVID, COVID kind of got me forgetting. You know, it had me forgetting <laughs> just like how how loud that stadium can be when it's at capacity in an island game and a big game. Whoo, that was uh, that was impressive. I think that's a very loud stadium, very hard stadium to play on, play in. Bills are favored by three. I'm back in the Chiefs, dude. I like the Chiefs at plus three. I probably even sprinkle a half unit on the money line. Look at that's you. not because that's not because I have the Bills as the best team in the NFL. I think Josh oh, Allen yeah. is is, yeah. is arguably playing better football and more alien like football than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is still an alien and still doing insane, insane things with the football. I think it's one A and one B. But Allen is balling out. And this defense for Buffalo is one of the top defenses in the NFL. I think it's number two behind the San Francisco 49ers in any efficiency metric you look at. Chiefs defense is worse. The offense hasn't been as successful. Like, I like I like the Chiefs because they're at home and because you're getting three. Because Patrick Mahomes is a superhuman and the Chiefs... Uh, Chiefs but this is going to be the game of the week, man. Because Buffalo is playing out of their mind. Josh Allen is playing out of their mind. Both these quarterbacks. This is what you wake up for week six, man. This is going to be probably the best game of the season so far. Bill's defensive line, as we've talked about on this pod, you know, the rotation that they've got with Rousseau and, and, and Basham and of course, AJ Epinesa and Ed Oliver, whatever's happening right now with the chiefs tackles, it's being um, covered up by Patrick Mahomes' greatness because Brown and Wiley struggled uh, a little bit with the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders. Max Crosby got a lot of pressure, especially in the second half of that ball game. And I am worried about the Chiefs secondary a little bit. Just there's a couple of young players 
players back there who I think will be good players down the line in Watson and Cook, but those dudes are thrown in the mix right now in a rotation where you got Gabe Davis and, and, and Diggs and all the people that, that they bring in the aerial attack for the Buffalo Bills. I think the Bills will go on the road and win this football game. Man, it's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Really quickly, the shame of the week, and then we're going to bring in Steve oh, Ruiz for his no. quarterback rankings. I got a fun oh. I got a fun conversation plan for Steve Ruiz when he gets in. But shame of the week, this is going to be disgusting. Thursday night football. Oh, Washington no. Commanders and the Chicago Bears. Bears are favored by one. I don't even think odds makers know what to do with this game. They're like, okay, the home team gets a point. Who knows? Both these teams stink. The total is 37 and a half. Easily the lowest total on the week. No one's expecting points. We, I was talking on the Ringer Gambling Show, which you should go check out. Me and Raheem do a Thursday night preview. I previewed the Colts-Broncos game. I was like, I don't know if there's going to be a touchdown scored. And there wasn't. This Commanders-Bears game might be sloppier than that. You might get a pick six on either side, so I don't know. But this game is going to be nasty. The Bears, while there is some positive, Justin Fields has played a lot better over the last two weeks. Still, bad offensive line, bad receiving core. That's massively concerning. And the Commanders, even though Carson Wentz had two nice deep touchdowns to Deami Brown, the down-to-down consistency in Washington with Carson Wentz under center is vile. He ranks 25th in EPA per drop back and 25th in yards per attempt. The offensive line isn't playing well. Andrew Norwell got... Go back and watch the Andrew Norwell um, sack when Dinico Autry just like eats him. It, it was one of the more embarrassing things I've seen. Like this Washington Commanders team is also struggling. This is two of the worst teams in the NFL. There's a reason the total is at 37 and a half. This is going to be hard to watch. The commies are top three most boring teams to watch in the, the commies, NFL right now. The commies. Along, along, <laughs> along, along, with, uh, along with the Indianapolis Colts right there. Um, so play calling on the goal line late in that game was very, very questionable. And of course, Carson Wentz is a double agent. He's always good to do some shit that you never saw coming. And the Bears just, I mean, Justin Fields last, I'd say, two and a half, three quarters of football in, in both second halves. In the last couple of weeks, you've seen him grow a little bit. You've seen Luke Getze actually put some rhythmic play calling together, just like the unplugged and un, uncontrollable weird nature that we've seen around the league and certain things like the Denver Broncos play calling. Like certain things just seem disconnected, right? And we talked about that earlier with the Cincinnati Bengals play calling. For whatever reason, Luke Getze is kind of not, not been as advertised or what we thought we'd see as Bears fans coming into this season so in the second half of the last game of course Justin Fields has his best half as a pro 12 for 13 about a buck 50 through a touchdown uh, this this Bears team is scraping and scrapping for anything that they can get on offense not enough playmakers the offensive line looked good last last game in the second half but I don't expect this game to be any any great shakes I, I think the Bears win but it's not a game that I would I would watch if I wasn't a Bears fan or had to cover this thing this, this is going to be a bad one. I'm with you. I'm cheering on Iberflus. I'm cheering on Justin Fields. I, I, I think yeah. the commies, the commies, I'm calling them that the rest of the year. <laughs> I think the commies are in a bad place. I don't think they win this one on the road. All right, let's bring in Steve Ruiz to talk some quarterbacks. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water. 
pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Steve Ruiz finally joins the show after a lot of talk off the off the air that I think we can never make the air. But I'm ready to talk some quarterbacks here. And I got I got a little game for you, Ruiz. J- Jason right. and I came up with this. I, I gave you a little head-to-head. And I want you to compare the quarterbacks and, and talk about how they're good, how good they are, how similar they are, all those things for different reasons. The first pairing is the game of the week, according to Jason. Bills at Chiefs. Chiefs are three-point dogs at home. With two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the two best quarterbacks in the NFL, Josh Allen versus Pat Mahomes. Who's played better this year? Who would you rather have? Maybe not in this game, but for the next five years, where are you at with Josh Allen versus Pat Mahomes? Who's played better this year? I'm going with Josh Allen. Same. And that's, that's nothing against Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen has just raised his game to a level that, frankly, I never thought was possible. I don't think a lot of people thought was possible, but he's like doing all... It's not just the big throws downfield. Like we... Like, even two years ago, we thought that could be a part of his game. But now he's doing, like, the nerdy quarterback stuff. Like, he's getting rid of the ball quickly. He's, like, moving in the pocket to avoid pressure. It's it's annoying how good he is at football now. It's annoying. It he's, like, it perfect. Is. It's getting hard to criticize him for anything. He's just, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, he's, he might be the best player in football right now. Hmm. Now that's the stuff. Now that's the conversation right there. No, so w- when you break down his tape, all the things that you saw early on that obviously have been removed from his game. W- what is now the like the the ultimate refinement of Josh Allen's skills? Where you say it's not just the big throws anymore. Some of the little stuff that you can see the nuance to his game. Yeah, I think we saw it in this past game. Honestly, uh, if you go back to Week One last year, the Steelers, the Bills played the Steelers in Buffalo, and they played like this soft zone defense, and and Josh Allen didn't know what to do against it. And I think they scored like 17 points, and one of the scores was maybe a defensive score. But this year, he could do that stuff. So now defenses can't just play soft, and if they do, 
Allen's going to pick you apart. He's like, he's, he's doing his like Tom Brady impression. Like he's not making enough mistakes to derail a drive, even if there aren't like explosives driving it. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's hard to find like a real fault with them. And, and there are still glimpses of some rawness to his game that show up on film. It's just that he's able to make smart quarterback plays in that environment, that chaotic environment that he kind of creates on his own. And it also suggests that there's still room to grow. Like there's still room to get better, which is just a scary thought because I mean, I've never seen a quarterback play like this before. I've never seen a quarterback play like this where they could threaten a defense in every single way possible that a quarterback can threaten a defense. Last week in the power rankings article that I'm writing every single freaking week, I I wrote, you know, a lead was Josh Allen's the best player in football right now. And then people are like, oh my God, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes ranks ahead of him in EPA for drop back and all this shit. It's like, no, like go watch what Allen is doing with, with the football right now. He is doing the Mahomes level throws, but he's all, like you said, he's also doing the little things that he did not have previously. Like his game has gotten better. And he's, like you said, I think you summed it up perfectly at the end. He can threaten every part of the field. Like he can do whatever he freaking wants. Like they, and they don't, they have like a non-existent run game. And it's just Allen running the football when they have, all this stuff is just insane. Like how much, how, he is the MVP leader by a mile, not maybe not a mile, but by a significant margin for me right now. He is playing otherworldly football. All right, next pairing, next versus. They're not playing each other, but they're both in New York. The Big Apple's buzzing. Daniel Jones versus Zach Wilson. Who's playing better right now? And what is the future for both these guys, right? Daniel Jones, this is his last year in New York, according to his contract. Zach Wilson, they're thinking about building around him. He's looked good the last two weeks. He's been a fourth quarter monster in EPA for drop back. Where are you at with these two guys? I'm already a villain in in the Jets world. So I'm just going to lean into it. I'm taking Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones is a better football player right now. I mean, if you want to ask me, if I was like building a team and I could inherit either of their contracts. I would take Zach Wilson, obviously, because you have yeah, more team control. You have longer. It's cheaper. You don't have to worry about signing him in the offseason. But if I needed to win a game on Sunday, I'm taking Daniel Jones because I think he gives you a, like a baseline for offense where you know, even if he's not getting it done through the air, he's going to be able to run the ball. He's going to be able to scramble. You can do some quarterback option stuff. You can do that stuff with Zach Wilson because he's certainly like athletic enough but I don't think you want to expose a body type like that to hits. As we've seen, Zach Wilson has already had trouble staying healthy through his first two years. And I I do think that Daniel Jones does a better job of pushing the ball downfield in structure from the pocket. Whereas when you see all of Zach Wilson's highlights still, I mean, there's, there's some counter examples from the Steelers game in the fourth quarter of him throwing from the pocket, but those are wide open throws. I'm talking about like tight window throws from a tight pocket. You just don't see it on his film yet. And you see it with Daniel Jones. He doesn't do all the other stuff that you want a quarterback to do. He makes bad plays. He holds onto the ball too long. He, he's oblivious to the pass rush at times to a fault. But he does have those high-level throws that we've never seen from Zach Wilson. Very different quarterbacks, right? Like you are, yeah. Zach Wilson, you're getting some of the, you know, out-of-structure fun level shit where like he can do stuff down the football field that Daniel Jones just can't. But with Jones, I think that his pocket presence is like that level of obliviousness that works sometimes. You know, where you're like, you're so... Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, you you so don't care that the pressure is coming that you're willing to stand in there and take a hit sometimes. And now that's also why I think he leads the league in fumbles since 2019. Like he he oftentimes fumbles the football and, 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 and puts himself in that position. But still, there are things to build up. And like, I think that 
the biggest takeaway, and I said this at the top of the show, like the biggest takeaway is that Dayball knows that. And for the first time, there's a coach that's like, yeah, I know that. Like, I, I know you're kind of shit in these areas. I know you're not going to be able to do these types of things. And I'm going to make sure that you don't lose us games. I keep going back to this play, but like that red zone interception targeting Saquon Barkley on like a fade in the week one was awful. Like, like that is how Daniel Jones loses you games. And like Brian Dayball tore his ass apart on the sideline with cameras in view. Like, because he knows, like, that's how you lose us games. If you don't do that, we can win here. And they are. And I think that's just a big tip of the cap. Again, Jones, I think, is improving. And, like, he's playing well in the system, all that stuff. Don't just say, like, it's all Dayball. But, like, Dayball is pulling the right strings there. Last one. Jared Goff versus Matt Stafford. Obviously, this is, you know, the trade. Stafford goes to the Rams, he wins the Super Bowl. Jared Goff goes to the Lions, and they enter the tanking. But, you know, uh, Dan Campbell's had him playing better than that. Goff has been really good to start this year. Not against... Bill Belichick, not against his Patriots defense. They scored zero points in that game after leading the league in points scored. And Matthew Stafford, like, is struggling. The offensive line is shit. You know, they don't have receiving talent really outside of Cooper Cup that's creating consistent separation. Like, there's concerns there. But, like, Matthew Stafford's also not playing well. I don't, I'm not going to say who would you rather take because that's obvious. But, like, I guess talk about how these two have performed and, and where, you at, where you are at versus public perception on Stafford and Goff. I mean, is it an easy call? We have Richard Sherman tweeting out that, uh, yeah, I'm calling Richard Sherman out. Don't, don't. We need a Richard Please Sherman. Do. We need a Richard Sherman heat check after because like he's feeling himself too much after the Russell Wilson thing, after the Russell Wilson <laughs> game on Thursday. So he's he needs right, to be though. brought down back, back <laughs> to earth right. a little bit. Although I do support that cause. But uh, no, man, it's it's obvious just watching them all year long, like who the better quarterback is. And it's like, you see in Detroit what it's like to play in a system that makes everything easy for a quarterback. And you could just, all you have to do is look at their splits between passing downs and rundowns. So like first and 10, second and five or less, third and one. Jared Goff has very good numbers. Now, when you look at the other side of that split, like the obvious passing downs, his numbers are terrible. And it's like the reverse for, for uh, Matthew Stafford. Now, Matthew Stafford's numbers aren't good in passing down situations because of the offensive line, but his numbers are like terrible on the early down stuff. So like McVay, he's not getting the McVay boost. He's not getting the play action stuff. He's not getting the easy down and distances because of the run game. He's playing on hard mode. And then we saw what Jarrett Goff is when he has to play on hard mode against the Patriots because they went up against the one team that is ready to play a throwback style of football. Like I think that was a terrible matchup for the, the Lions offense, which is built on just running this like 1990s run game downhill, pulling guards that no defense is built to stop, except for one, the one in New England. And that might be because Bill Belichick is a little washed as a GM and doesn't know how to build a modern team. But we saw when you put, when you drag, to use uh, Dan Campbell's own analogy, when you drag him into those deep waters, I forget what he said on Hard Knocks. I mean, he, he folds, he folds something and he folded again. Something about biting kneecaps and fighting it's, in a phone booth and doing he's everything very violent, you got to do isn't to bowl your neck. Yeah, well, he's a football player, Steven. You know how that goes. I think Dan Campbell needs to land, land on like an FBI list or something. We need to look into it. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just put Dan Campbell on the no-fly list. That, now stop, that will stop. Be, that, that will be the headline that comes from this podcast tonight. His analogies are all that. violent. <laughs> I want to see his, I want to see like his drawings as a little kid. Let's check those. 
I have I have no problem with Dan Campbell's analogies. I have a problem with everyone making a kneecap joke for the last like year and a half. Like it's literally like my least oh, favorite joke. See, in football see, right now. Like, there it every, is. Every Look single it. person's like, oh, like just literally like it's like they're like they li- that's all they have in their back pockets. Like kneecap joke. Lions. That's all anything? he. That's all he is though. Right. That's all yeah, he is. If you're known for that, that's what you're known for. Guess what? Guess what? For the next year, Will Smith will be known as the guy who slaps somebody. <laughs> at, at no, the I'm. I'm fine if that's all Dan Campbell is. That doesn't have to be all what we are, right? Like, it doesn't have to be all what media is. Like, the Lions cover a spread and it's like kneecaps for breakfast. It's like, go kill you. Like, stop. Like, you need to stop. Whoa. Like, this, this, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. We're reeling that in. We're reeling that in. I think my favorite take, my favorite take out of all that was that Richard Sherman needs a heat check. And I that's true. I worked with him at PFF when he was doing podcasting. That guy's ready to rip off some takes. He's got some takes off the mic that he's finally getting the platform to drop. And I think you're going to see really Richard Sherman, not unreal. Ravel, but he's going to unload, unload some takes uh, on Thursday Night Football, which has been an interesting broadcast all year long. Before, Stephen, before you bounce, uh, your guy, Trevor Lawrence, what happened this week? All right, this is going to sound like Cope, but I don't care. The film is way better than, the, the All-22 is way better go. than the broadcast. It was fine. Here it was just good go. defense. Doug, Doug Peterson got outcoached by Lovey Smith in the year 2022. That's, <laughs> that's a shame. There it is. I, I, I do think that if you go back, I'm not trying to cope too because I'm also a big Lawrence guy. But like, if you go back and watch the tape, there's a handful of like those throws down the seam to Ingram. Like, they, like do oh man, like this guy still has it, nah, he's still terrific. has it. But like that red zone interception to Stingley was ass. Like, no. like you can't make that throw. You can't make that throw. And I think that's the boneheadedness. And I think Solak tweeted something like he just still has that ah, let's go make a play kind of vibe to him where he's like, I think I can, my guy can go get it and I'm going to go like be aggressive. And I just don't think the, I don't think the Jags have that. Like that, give Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Evan Ingram, all of these, you know, all the praise you want. But that is still not like even like a top 15, top 20 receiving core. <laughs> like it's still like not super talented and he's still trying to give like go balls to these guys and like one-on-one situations and all that stuff. And I just think that's going to catch up to him more. Often. I mean this on the field only, but he's got a little Jameis in him. And there's like a danger. Okay. Yeah. There's a danger if you don't shake off that Jameis thing that it could stick with you for the rest of your career. And I think that's the one thing that's going to like, that could hold him back from being generational. You never want to have that Jameis in you on the field. That is uh, brutal. That yeah, is brutal. All right. That's I will do text y'all the jokes after this pod, by <laughs> the way. Thank you. Thanks, Jason, for biting your tongue. Uh, that's going to do it for Power Rankers. Obviously, most of the show is me and Jason Goff. At the end, we bring in Steve Ruiz to rip it up. On Wednesdays, it's The Island with Nora Princiati. Thursdays, The Scramble with Shield Kapadia. And then the Ringer Preview Show, Steve Ruiz joins back with Danny Heifetz and Benjamin Solak. Big shout out to our producers, Connor Evans, Arjuna Rampapal, and the Miami Dolphins stand, Carlos Chiraboga. Until next time, Austin Gale, Jason Goff, Steve Ruiz, the Power Ranker Show. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. 
Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 